it's not necessarily a decision that we make all at once, right? We, we don't wake up in the morning and we say, uh, you know, I'm throwing away everything godly and I'm going to just immerse myself in the world, right? That's not how it happens. It happens one small decision at a time and we get a little bit off the road, a little bit off the road, and then we find ourselves on this slippery slope towards destruction uh, and ruin. And so that's what happens in Lot and uh, to Lot. Uh, and as we come to chapter 19, uh, all of the decisions that Lot has made, uh, they kind of come home to roost at this point. Uh, they, they, they kind of all turn on Lot and, and everything where he's gone off the road, uh, it's all going to come home to roost at this point. And so the man who once had everything, he had it all, uh, now is going to come to the point in his life where he's got nothing. And so what we're going to see in this chapter uh, is the crimes of Sodom, the conviction of Sodom, the calamity of Sodom, and then the corrupting influence of the culture of Sodom uh, on Lot and his two daughters after they left. So uh, if you will read with me verses uh, 1 through 11, uh, we will get started. So chapter 19, uh, verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand aside. Furthermore, they said, This one came in as an alien and he is already acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were standing at the door with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find their way. Well, uh, disturbing, right, to say the least. Um, at the end of chapter 18, remember that Lot, I'm sorry, Abraham was pleading with God for the people of Sodom. And Abraham convinced God, he said, if you find ten righteous, will you destroy the place? And God said, no, for ten righteous, I will not destroy the place. And then God departed, Abraham went home, but the two men, the two angels, they proceeded on to Sodom. And when they get to Sodom, they find Lot sitting in the gate. Now, the gate is where business is conducted. It's where cases are decided. Uh, this is the important place. It's like City Hall. And so Lot uh, originally turned his tent towards Sodom, then dwelled in Sodom, and now he's sitting in the gate. He has become one of them, uh, and that's where he is now. And so when the angels arrive, 
Uh, Lot doesn't even recognize them as angels, which we don't hold against Lot because uh, Abraham didn't recognize them as angels either originally. But but Lot does recognize these people uh, as being in need of food and in need of shelter, uh, and we can certainly we can certainly see why. Uh, and so he convinces these angels to come into his house. And then verse seven, uh, you have uh, I'm sorry, verse four: the men of the city, the men of Sodom the young and the old, from every quarter. This is the entire city, right? All the men of the city are there, uh, and they want to have relations with Lot's guests. Now, uh, I don't think I need to paint that picture for you, but we know what we're talking about here, uh, that this is, this is very, very evil and wicked behavior that we're talking about here. Uh, and so Lot goes out to them, and he wants to talk to these guys, and he's, he wants to say, please, uh, don't do this. Don't act wickedly. But he says, my brothers. And don't you wonder like how Lot can call people this wicked my brothers? Uh, what can we say? I mean, Lot lived among them. He was immersed in their culture. When they were doing wicked things for the time that Lot lived there, Lot never said anything, right? So uh, he became one of them. And so he, he loses his right to have a witness or a testimony or to, to stand in judgment uh, against them because he's he's really acted permissively all this time. Uh, and then uh, the most horrifying thing that I can think of in Scripture is that uh, this man then offers up his own daughters, right? He says, I have two daughters who have never known a man. Uh, take them and do with them whatever you wish. I mean, what do you say about that? Uh, what father does this? What father says, you know, take my daughters and do whatever you wish with them? Some have said uh, that in that culture, the obligation to show hospitality and protection to people that you have brought in under your roof was greater than even the obligation to protect your own family, uh, your own daughters. Uh, to me, I, I just I can't fathom it. It's just completely unfathomable to me. Uh, if you're a woman out here listening to this message, I mean, this is incredibly upsetting, right? Uh, one thing I do know is that God does not approve of what Lot did, right? Because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God approves of it. It just goes to show the wickedness of man and the depravity of man and the way a man immersed in a wicked culture thinks, right? Your, your mind gets warped and your mind gets depraved when you're around uh, being depraved for too long. Well, a virgin in, in this culture was very prized. And of course, two virgins is twice as prized. That's, that's a, a big offer that Lot is making to these, to these men uh, as a substitution for, these, for, his, for his guests. Uh, but so wicked were these men that they, they did not want the daughters. They, they wanted to have relations with, uh, with these guests of Lot. And, and so there are two serious offenses here. One is homosexual behavior was a capital offense uh, you can read that in X, I'm sorry, in Leviticus 18 and also in Leviticus 20. And again, that's affirmed in uh, Romans chapter 1. So uh, you have that offense. And then you have this offense of, of failure to show hospitality. Uh, in Exodus and other related passages, uh, the Israelites were required to show hospitality to others because they were aliens and exiles in a foreign land, in the foreign land of Egypt. So God said, uh, when you have strangers, you have to entertain them. You have to be hospitable to them because you know how it was when you were exiles in that foreign land. Uh, and so uh, Abraham showed hospitality to these guys in chapter 18, and Lot tries to do the same in chapter 19. 
But these men completely violate any semblance of, of adhering to, to what uh, biblical hospitality was supposed to be. And of course, the outcry uh, was great as a result. Well, Lot's getting nowhere with his powers of persuasion, right? I mean, his powers of persuasion are not so good. He's not getting anywhere. And these guys are like, no, look at you. Who, who do you think you are? You're, if you're Lot, uh, you say to these guys, uh, don't act wickedly. And then you say, here's my daughters, right? Like, who gets to be the arbiter uh, and the decision maker about what's wicked, right? If you're willing to offer up your own daughters and then you're going to call these guys wicked, who are you? You have no right because you have no moral compass of your own uh, from which you can even begin to judge what right and wrong is. Uh, so Lot's immersed in their culture and he's got no right to talk to, to these guys about what's right and what's wrong because he's wicked as well. Well, Lot's about to be torn apart. Uh, by these guys who want to do even worse things to him than they were going to do the angels, and they want to get to the angels. And so these angels have to rescue him uh, by reaching out their hand and pulling him into the house and uh, striking them with blindness. And, and do you think that after these guys have been stricken with blindness, they said, ah, oh, I, I, mean, I must repent of my evil and my wickedness, right? No, they, they don't do that at all. They say that they, they wearied themselves still trying to find the door in their blindness, uh, so wicked were these guys. And so God had seen enough uh, of, of Sodom and the men of Sodom, and so he's going to judge the city. So let's read about the conviction of Sodom in verses 12 to 23. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else do you have here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in this city. Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Up, out of the city, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, for disaster will overtake me and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small? That my life may be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar, and the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. So after the angels strike these men with blindness, you figure Lot at this point recognizes that he's not dealing with uh, average people, right? He's, he knows that he's dealing with some kind of supernatural uh, people here. So he, he probably figures they're angels or they're God's representatives. And these guys start talking to Lot about getting out of the city because we're about to destroy this place. And so these angels want Lot to gather up his family. And where does Lot have to go to gather up his family? 
He's got to go out. See that? He's got to go out, outside the door, to talk to his sons-in-law. They're not in the house, behind the door with him. He's got to go out of the house to speak with them. So they're probably among this wicked mob who were trying to get to these to these angels. And they may have been stricken with blindness uh, themselves. And and so when Lot spoke to them, they thought he was joking. I mean, is that, that's hard to believe, isn't it, that they would think that he's joking? And I think what, what happened is that it's a testimony to how far Lot had fallen, how far, uh, how much credibility he had lost, that they don't even believe him when he's speaking about uh, about being uh, about uh, what what God is going to do, uh, and and so they don't even believe him, and they think that he's joking, and so it's it's night at this point when 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 Lot is out there trying to speak to his sons-in-law, but but dawn is coming, and when dawn comes, that's when judgment uh, is coming as well. And so these angels twice say, you will be swept away if you don't get out of this city. Get up, get out, because you are going to be swept away. And this language, of course, reminds us of what Abraham said in the last chapter. In chapter 18, uh, Abraham said, uh, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Uh, so you, you see that the, this kind of language binds the two chapters together. And these angels are saying, uh, you are the righteous, so get out of here before you are swept away. But Lot, what does he do? He hesitates. And it's kind of a testimony as to Lot and, and his, his feelings about that city, that even though it was going to be destroyed, uh, so deep are his roots in that city that he has a hard time walking away from the city uh, and turning away and, and running away from, from the calamity uh, that is to come. And so these angels have to pick up Lot by his hand and his wife by her hand and the kids, the two daughters, by their hands, and they have to rush them out of the city and of course, the sons-in-law here, they're not mentioned. They don't get escorted out of the city. So we know that for them, uh, their failure to heed Lot's warning had catastrophic results for them. They're not going to survive this thing. Uh, and so God, he was incredibly gracious to Lot to say, I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you from this. And what does Lot do? Uh, he wants to now argue about where he's going to go, right? I mean, uh, for me, any place would be good enough that the fire and the brimstone wasn't coming. Uh, Lot wants to wants to go to this city uh, called it's called Zoar because Zoar means small. So he's talking here over and over about isn't it small? Isn't it a small city? So the city became called uh, Zoar, and, and God even granted that request uh, from Lot because he was being gracious to Lot. And, and God delays divine judgment for the purpose of showing divine grace uh, to Lot, and so that's what he does. But now with Lot safely out of Sodom, uh, now catastrophe, calamity is going to come uh, on the city. So let's read about the calamity of Sodom. We'll read verses 24 through 29. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. You know, it's easy to see parallels between this story and the Noah story, right? 
in the Noah story, everyone outside the ark was wicked and everyone outside the ark perished. They were all on the wrong side of the door. And in the Lot story, everyone inside Lot's house, the wife and Lot and the two daughters, they survived and everyone outside the door, uh, they perished. And so God delayed justice for a time in both stories. But when justice came, it came swiftly and decisively and brought complete and utter destruction. And everyone except Lot's immediate family was killed. And everyone except for Noah's immediate family was killed. And and so you have these parallels between uh, the two. And so you you just don't want to be on the wrong side of the door, right? Uh, Jesus himself used this passage uh, in Luke chapter 17 to talk about what's going to happen when he comes again and the coming judgment that he is going to bring. Uh, when he does come again, judgment is going to be swift, it's going to be decisive, it's going to be complete. So let's just uh, reference Luke chapter 17, verses 26 to 30. I have it up on the screen for us. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So if Jesus comes before we die, we want to be sure that we're not on the wrong side of the door, right? Like, like the people in the Lot story were and like the people on the Noah, in the Noah story were. Uh, the way to be on the right side of the door is to understand and accept that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, uh, and rose from the dead so that we who believe can have eternal life. And if we believe that, then we're on the right side of the door. Uh, and when we're on the right side of the door, Uh, then we don't have anything to worry about. If you're on the wrong side of the door, you have a lot to worry about. So uh, that's something we want to have straight, right? We want to know that we have Jesus as our Savior. It's too late uh, after we die to make that decision. And for the people of Sodom, it's now too late, right? The the fire and brimstone has come down and they all perished and the city was completely destroyed. And even Lot's wife looked back and she herself became a pillar of salt. Now, that one is hard. I mean, we don't know exactly what that one meant or what that one means, but uh, what we know about the Dead Sea region is that there is just tons of salt around there. And in fact, if you ever went swimming in the Dead Sea, uh, you have to float in the Dead Sea. So rich is the salt content that you cannot sink in the Dead Sea. You float right to the top. It's a pretty interesting sensation, actually. Um, but what we see uh, when we, when we uh, look at uh, the region of the Dead Sea is these are like mountainous regions around the Dead Sea, and they have tons of salt content, and the rain brings the salt into the sea, and there's no outlet for the Dead Sea. So the salt content continues to increase as the water evaporates, and the salt continues to pour into the Dead Sea. And so what happens is that everything gets covered in salt crystals. And so you have salt crystals here, and here's a rock formation that's covered in salt crystals, um, more salt crystals. It's all over the Dead Sea. So, I mean, Lot's wife could certainly have been divinely turned into a pillar of salt. Certainly God could have done that, and maybe he did. 
Or maybe it's that she died and just became covered in salt like everything in that region became. Uh, we really don't know, but the point of the story is not, you know, how did she become a pillar of salt? The, the point of the story is don't look back at what you're leaving behind that's worldly, the sinful world that you left. Turn your back on that, leave it behind, repent, and walk forward into the life that God has for you. Uh, that's the point of the story. And so in chapters 12 and 13, we saw that Lot had accumulated so much stuff that he didn't think that he could live with Abraham. And now at the end of chapter 19, everything that he had, even his wife, is lost. All his possessions, he's got nothing left except his two daughters. And then in, in verse 27, the vantage point changes to, to Abraham's perspective. Now Abraham gets up in the morning and, and he goes back to the place where he was just praying to God yesterday. Not 24 hours have even passed yet. He's praying for the, for the salvation of Sodom if 10 righteous people uh, can be found. And when Abraham looked down on Sodom from this area, uh, this, was, this is kind of where he is, and he's looking down on the south end of the Dead Sea. And when he looks down there, he sees nothing but smoke rising. And so he knows that not 10 righteous people could be found in all of Sodom. And how tragic, right, that in an entire city like this, you couldn't even find 10 righteous people. But for Abraham's sake, God spared Lot. And, and isn't it interesting as you read that verse that, that, that it says that, but God remembered Abraham, not God remembered Lot. God remembered Abraham, and for that reason, he spared Lot. And this is just reminiscent of the promises back in chapter 12, right? God said, I will bless those who you bless. And he's, he's doing that here. This is the second time that God rescued uh, Lot through Abraham. Remember in chapter 14, it was, it was Abraham's armies that went forth and rescued Lot. And here it's by virtue of Abraham's prayer that God rescued Lot. And so uh, we, we have this, this, this theme that who, whoever Abraham blesses is going to be blessed. But that's not it for Lot. Lot's got his two daughters and he's escaped from Sodom. Uh, but now what's he going to do? Where is he going to go? Let's see what happens. We're going to see the corrupting influence of the culture of Sodom in verses 30 to 38. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. And he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. There is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us let our father drink wine and let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made the father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. Wow. 
This is how people in a godless culture think, right? When you don't have God, uh, your depraved thoughts control you. And this is, this is how people in a, uh, who have been corrupted by this culture think. So first, Lot wants to go to Zoar, right? He, he says, no, I can't go to the mountains to flee. Let me go to this small city. And then apparently he has a change of heart. Uh, that he goes up from Zoar. That means he left Zoar. He did not go to Zoar after all. And maybe he recognized that the people of Zoar were no different than the people of Sodom. They, they were both wicked, and he was going to get the same treatment there that he was going to get in Sodom. And so he goes into the mountains, and in the mountains he finds this little cave that he and his two daughters are going to live in. And the two daughters, uh, they understand that Sodom has been destroyed, and so uh, their logic is... Uh, there is no man left to come into us to give us uh, to perpetuate our family line uh, after the manner of the earth. And so they concoct this scheme. And you can just see, uh, as, as you read through this story, the depravity uh, uh, that, that we as human beings are capable of, right? That, that we would think thoughts like this, so disgusting, uh, that, that this is the best we can think of in terms of, of how we would uh, want to continue to uh, perpetuate our family line. So they continue, they have this plan, they take turns getting their father drunk, having sex with their father, becoming impregnated by their father by incest, which of course is another violation of the Mosaic law, uh, and, and so this is, this, this is their solution. And you read the story and you're like, what? Like, wh who thinks like this, right? But, but think about Lot. Lot becomes immersed in this godless culture, right? And he raises these daughters in a godless culture. And his daughters are engaged to two godless men who are on the wrong side of the door. So why would we be surprised that this is how they think, right? This is how people who are corrupted by a godless culture think. Uh, and so uh, that, you, know, you, you, you have to blame Lot more than the daughters because Lot was no influence on his daughters growing up. And so these are the kind of thoughts uh, that, they, that they thought. And just think about these two daughters. Uh, is there anything that could diminish, decrease, or, or destroy the self-worth of a girl more than, than having your father say, here, take my daughters who have never had relations with a man and, and do whatever you want to them, right? I mean, can you imagine the self-esteem that these girls must have had? And so it's really not surprising that, that they don't have any use for their father either. All, all they really want from, from their father is his seed so they can continue to perpetuate their line. And again, their, their behavior reminds us of the Noah story once more. Remember, Noah got drunk after he got off the ark, uh, and Ham uncovered his nakedness, whatever that might mean. Uh, and Ham and Ham's line was cursed as a result of this drunkenness. And now in this story, uh, Lot becomes drunk, and the curse is the curse that comes from the Moabites and the Ammonites who uh, were, were the, uh, these are the progenitors of, of these two family lines. And these people were a thorn in Israel's side, the, the Ammonites and the Moabites were, for centuries. Well, that's it in terms of Lot's story. That, that's all we really know about Lot. We, we're done with him in this cave with two pregnant daughters who are going to give birth uh, to these two tribes. And, and it's a sad ending uh, for a guy who the Bible calls righteous. Uh, but his righteousness doesn't change his behavior, it doesn't change his attitude, it doesn't seem to have any influence on himself or the people around him. So 
as we think about this story, uh, I, I, I think that the way I wanted to present this was to, to think about what we learned from the story from the perspective of four of the different players in the story. And Lot is the first one. And here's what I think we get from Lot. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? That's, that's Romans 12, too. We all know that one. Um, we know that Lot was saved because the Bible calls him righteous. Second uh, Peter 2 calls him righteous. And so uh, I've said that a couple times. Let's just take a look at what Second Peter 2 uh, says about Lot. This is what Peter is talking about God's ability to rescue. And here's what he says. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day by day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. That's three times that Lot is called righteous. There's a difference between being righteous positionally, meaning that you are saved because you, you are, are right with God, and yet having righteous behavior that follows. And, and Lot had the one, but he never had the second. He was never changed by the fact that he had been saved and called righteous uh, by God. So if you're righteous, that righteousness, righteousness ought to change you. We ought to be transformed by that righteousness. We, people around us ought to see something different in us. And the people in Sodom saw nothing different in Lot. He looked just like them. Your righteousness ought to uh, have some effect on your children, right? It should have some effect on your children. Uh, you should model and teach your children about God. And Lot never did those things. Because transformation happens daily as a result of small decisions that we make when we seek God's will and we follow after what God would have for us. Uh, and as we do these things, we, we walk in the Lord. And, and that's, that's what it means to be righteous. And, you know, as attacks continue on, on family in our society, uh, uh, and, and as our society continues to deteriorate, uh, we need to be those who, who allow ourselves to be transformed by the word of God so that we look different to the world. Lot never looked different to the world, but if we look different to the world, then we can make a difference for Jesus Christ. And our goal ought to be to be a witness to the world so that when, when people see what's different about us, they ask and we can tell them what a difference Jesus Christ has made in our lives. And, and that's the only way the world is going to change, through Jesus Christ. Well, what about Abraham? Abraham learned the power of God, one, and the power of intercessory prayer. The power of God... Uh, to rain down fire and brimstone from heaven on Sodom to destroy it. And yet the power of his own prayer that this insignificant nephew and two, daughter, or two daughters of his were saved because of Abraham's prayer. And that's a wonderful thing. It's, that's God's grace in the life of Abraham, right? That's what our series is titled. It's hard to see it this week, but this is it. It's God remembered Abraham when he was raining down on, on Sodom, and so he saved Lot for that very reason. And answered prayer is one way that God shows us specifically and personally that he is attentive to our own needs. And, and so when we have our own prayers answered, we learn uh, God's power and the power of intercessory prayer. So I think that's what we get from Abraham. What about God? God can be trusted to keep his promises. He is faithful and true. 
He said in chapter 12, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And so uh, Lot gets saved because of Abraham. And he rescues us, right? God rescues us as well from our sinful deeds and from the, the punishment that we deserve because of his son, Jesus Christ. And so God has been in the rescuing business since man first came on the earth and he rescues us as well. Uh, so we are heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what God says about us in Romans chapter 8. Uh, he's promised to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so we trust God uh, because of his character, because of his incredible character, we know that God is faithful and true. And finally, Sodom. Repent before God brings judgment. Not too hard to draw application here and compare it to our society, right? As we think about our society these days, our world looks more like Sodom every day. Uh, we have godless people passing godless laws that are that, about things that legalize things that God says are an abomination. Uh, and yet we do this every day. And a God who does not judge wickedness is not a God of love. He has to judge wickedness. That's why he had to judge Sodom. And so he did. Um, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, once said, if, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think that's an interesting quote, right? Uh, I don't think God's going to be doing any apologizing anytime soon. I think he's going to be doing judging. I think that that's what's going to be happening. And so uh, my question is, how long will it be before God's patience with us runs out? So as we close, I just want to ask the Lord that, that we would uh, think about our society, think about our world, and, and, and just pray for repentance of our country, pray for revival so that God doesn't have to bring this judgment on us because God prefers mercy over judgment, right? He would much rather give us mercy than judgment. And so uh, I'm going to ask him for that as we, as we conclude here this morning. Lord God, this is a difficult, difficult chapter. There are some things in here that are really hard to, to deal with. And yet, Lord, they're in the Bible because we understand that, that the world is a wicked place and you must judge it, but yet you don't want to judge it, Lord. You, you want to show mercy to us. And, and Lord, in our country, uh, we're headed the way of Sodom, Lord. And, and what we would pray is, Lord, that you would raise us up one person at a time, one person in impacting another person, impacting another person. Lord, just growing in your word and, and trying to change our society, change our world so that it would look like you would have it to look, Lord, and, and not what it looks like now. Lord, we pray for revival in this country, and it happens one person at a time through your Holy Spirit, uh, through people who want to walk according to your ways and, and live according to your ways, Lord. And we pray that that would happen in this country. Please, Use us by the power of your Holy Spirit to change the world. We just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.